All right, well, just uh, one announcement before I, I begin. Uh, we're going to be having our, our chili cook-off, um, our inaugural first annual, hopefully, chili cook-off, uh, just right after service. I know Adam will uh, give us some direction about that. Uh, I've talked to some kids, uh, particularly some of my own and some of others who say they don't really like chili. Well, I hope you can at least taste one that you find that you like. And uh, then I'm sure you'll eat it and enjoy it and probably be Mrs. Brandon so you can vote for her so she can win is kind of the idea there. <laughs> so I just trust that'll be a, a good time at the end of the service. That'll be, be great. Well, for the past two weeks at uh, Rock Valley Bible Church, we've been considering this topic of church membership um, because we as a church are, are transitioning from uh, an informal membership where People just kind of come and get involved and um, be, hang around and kind of without any definition about what it means to be a church member or what it means to, for the leadership, what you can expect from us, what you can expect from other people. And so we're looking to define that more is what we're, we're looking to do. And, and two weeks ago, we looked at uh, church membership in history and just saw that throughout history, the practice of church membership has varied quite a bit. We saw in the early church, there was rapid membership as the, the church grew so quickly, 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. And soon after that, it, it raised up to 5,000 people. And there were so many people added so quickly that it, came, it just kind of came on with very little form and structure. And there were so many, many people that even the leaders afterwards were put in place after the the gatherings had been established, and that was, uh, that was a rapid membership in the early church. And, and then um, we see rigorous membership during the post-apostolic time, that is after A.D. 70, kind of when the apostles were, were dying out, and then you had this time before, uh, before Christianity was declared the, the religion of the Roman Empire, and uh, there was a lot of persecution that was faced and so because of that persecution, because of the need that they had to, to make sure that those coming into church membership would not fall away at the persecution, they had a rigorous membership, sometimes even a, a year or two or three years of catechizing people and teaching them and training them about what church membership was about. Uh, but then after the time of Constantine, there was a relaxed membership as the default religion in the empire was Christianity. Everybody was a Christian. And uh, infants were baptized, baptized into citizenship, into the, into the, the citizenship and uh, um, the church, and that's kind of where it was. Not a lot of uh, conviction, not a lot of focus, not a lot of direction, really relaxed. Continued for a thousand years until the Reformation, at which point in time you had regenerate church membership where they sought to accept really, they, they did everything they could to just make sure the church was a pure church. Those who were Christians, regenerate, changed by the power of God, were accepted into church membership. Um, and, and then recent history, um, recent membership has really spanned the spectrum. Some think it's optional. Some think church membership is necessary. Um, those who think it's optional, well, if it works for you, that's fine. I'm not against it, but it's okay. Some say necessary, like the fruit of your salvation is to be a member of a church and to identify with a body. And, and those who think church membership is nef- necessary do it differently. Some you can come, become a member very quickly by coming forward at the end of a service and saying, I want to be a member of a church. And others, right, long classes, long covenants to sign. So they, they really vary um, in practices. And the reason for this, I think it's important, is because the Bible's silent on how church membership is to be practiced. Be practiced it can be practiced in many different ways, and it has been practiced in many different ways. 
Last week, we looked at church membership in the Bible, and we saw that membership is a biblical word. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 just compares the people of the church to members of a body, calling the people members. They're just as part of that. Um, furthermore, we saw the church membership is for clarity. That is, right, church membership helps to define a group of people. Um, someone's clearly a member of a church, or they are not. And particularly, that interestingly, that, that comes out in the passages that deal with church discipline. When, when there's a, a member in the congregation that's sinning and going astray, and people are pursuing them individually, and then by two or three, and then the whole church pursuing after them, saying, come back, come back to Christ, is what's being urged. And Jesus then sells, says, if he refuses to listen even to the church, and that means the church is defined, if, if he refuses to listen to the church, let him be to you as a tax collector or a Gentile that is outside the church. Jesus wants it to be clear who's inside the church and who's outside the church. Right? Those, those inside the church, if people are straying and, and sinning and going against the Lord, people inside the church should go and pursue them. And if they refuse to repent, they should be considered outside the church and it should be clear. Paul also said it should be clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a similar, similar case. There's a church discipline uh, situation where there's someone sinning uh, in, in a bad way in the congregation and the church at Corinth said, hey, that's fine. You stay among us. And Paul said, no, that's not fine. Someone's professing to be a believer in Christ. You need to walk in a way consistent with the Lord and you need to get him out of the church. Paul really spoke about those who are inside the church and those who are outside of the church. And, and that argues for church membership that membership should be clear. That's what we're seeking to do, just clarify membership at a church. Membership's also for care. When Paul spoke to the elders of the church uh, at Ephesus, he was in Miletus and spoke to the elders. He had them there. And he said this in Acts 20, verse 28, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Here it is, the Holy Spirit appointing identifiable leaders to an identifiable group of people and the leaders are to care for the people, to shepherd them in, in, in humility and with willingness and with love and not with pride and arrogance for the good of people. Try to, try to care for them spiritually, helping them, teaching them, leading them, supporting them. And church membership really just helps to identify who it is that uh, the leaders of the church should care for because church leaders will be held accountable to the Lord for the way that they, they care for these people. In, in Hebrews chapter 13, there's just a, a verse that, that speaks about leaders. The congregation said, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Why? For they are keeping watch over your souls as those will have to give an account. And let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Last week I mentioned the, the thought and the concept that maybe none of you have had before, maybe some of you had, but, but uh, every leader of a church has, who's in the church, who are we to care for, to whom will we be accountable to the Lord, of how we cared for people in the church. People come every week, people at church, right, most every week come to service, but then leave, not really involved in the life of the church, those who just come on occasion, or those who've been here once, or three times, or or more, 
And, and like, that's a real question. Like, even in my mind, there, there are people like, are they in? Are they out? What, what if they, they leave? Should I pursue them? And, and listen, my heart is for anyone who comes, first-time visitor, to come to our church and be involved in our church and engage in our church and, and as they, whatever, maybe are, are, are here, maybe not here. It's, it's really helpful for leaders to know who I will be accountable for before the Lord to define relationships and expectations and that's really what we're seeking to do with church membership. Well, this morning we're going to look at church membership in practice. That is, what does church membership look like? And this morning I'm going to be like a, an artist, taking out my, my oils and uh, painting a picture for you of what it is that the church should look like and what it is that church membership should look like. Because there are different understandings of this. There are some people who think church membership is like being part of a political party like being a, a Republican or a Democrat, right? Because each of these parties, right, they have fundamental beliefs, and they are different beliefs, just as maybe churches have different beliefs. And uh, some people think that it's, I, I need to come and identify myself with them. Like, if you identify with a political party, it basically means that you identify with them. You say, I'm, I'm a Republican. I hold their values. I, I will support them with my vote. I will send them some dollars to help support them in the election effort so that if I prop this up, my mission of identifying with that will continue in this party. Or whether that's the Green Party, or whether that's the Democratic Party, or whatever party, just you, you support them, you vote for them, you help them, you encourage them because you want your mission to be accomplished. And so likewise, some people think that being a member of a church is the same thing. I want to identify with the, the core values and the beliefs of Rock Valley Bible Church because I believe in the, coal, in the goals and the vision and the aspirations of this church. And, and I will support that church financially. And I will support it with my attendance. Uh, and, and I just want to make sure that what I believe is carried on, right, through the mission of Rock Valley Bible Church. That's not church membership, though. Church membership isn't merely identifying with the church that lines up with your beliefs so that you see your vision progressed in this world. Some think church membership is similar to being like part of a country club. The membership of... Uh, the club carries certain benefits, right? I'm a member of Rock Valley Community Club, country club. I pay my dues every year. That allows me to hang around with the upper class of society. I can enjoy all of their events that they sponsor, right? My kids can go to the Easter egg hunt. I, I can hang out there every 4th of July and see the private fireworks display that they have, getting the best seat right there on the rotunda of the, the country club um, main building. I can golf the club, access my kids can swim at the swimming pool. And if we have a big event like a family reunion or maybe a wedding, I have an opportunity to use their clubhouse because I'm a member because I pay their dues. And many think the church is a membership with benefits. I'm a member of Rock Valley Bible Church. I pay my tithes every week. That lets me hang around great people of the church. I love the picnics and the potlucks are very enjoyable. Super excited about the chili cook-off today. Uh, I love the events, watching the children, the cute children during the Christmas Eve service, and, and I love promoting right, the, the youth group, my kids, right? I pay my dues, my kids can go to the youth group, be involved. I got a nice big building that maybe I have a big family function, I need a bigger building, I can use that building because I paid my tithes. I can uh, use and enjoy all what Rock Valley Berber Church has to offer, and I just say that's not church membership either. It's like this transaction, like I pay in and then I get these benefits back. 
That's not what church membership is. Church membership, as I try to paint this picture, is really relationship. It's really your working out what it means to be a member of the body of Christ, what it means to be a member of a church. And, and just as eyes help the body to know where it is it needs to walk, and the feet help the body to actually walk where it needs to go, and the stomach gives the energy to the feet to be able to walk where to go, and the lungs and the heart work together to give oxygen to the body so that you have energy even to function as well. So do church members serve one another so the body functions correctly. And really, that's what it means to be a church member. It, it, it just means that you're, you're contributing part to this body, to fulfilling your role in this body so that our body functions well. In other words, church membership is less about using the church to benefit you or, or supporting the church that, that benefits your cause, but rather church membership is about being a member of the body, doing your part to serve and help the body function rightly. Because in reality, listen, we need each other. We need each other. There'll be a crisis in your life when you need people from this church to come and and help you. Or from another church, wherever you you are. You, You need Christian community around you to help you through crisis. There'll be times where you're discouraged. And you need to be encouraged. Like every week, we need to be encouraged. There'll be times when you're weak and you need to be strengthened. And there are times when you see others weak and you need to strengthen them. You see burdens that other people are carrying and you're going to help share the load by helping carry them with them. And these are the pictures that painted in the, the scriptures in the one another commands of the Bible. Um, there are about 50 such commands in the Bible, and if I'm going to paint this picture for you of what it means to be a church member, how it practices itself, how it works itself out, I say, well, just look at the, well, the one another's. The 50 of them, and we're commanded, I'm just going to give you a few of them, we're commanded to love one another. John 13, 34 and 35. 1 John 3, 11. 1 John 4, 7. Lots of passages command us to love one another. We're commanded to Serve one another. Galatians 5.13 We're commanded to accept one another. Romans 15.7 We're told to be kind and compassionate towards one another. We are told to forgive one another and instruct one another and greet one another and confess our sins to one another, and to pray for one another, and to show hospitality to one another, and clothe ourselves with humility towards one another. You get this idea of, of, of us seeking to do for others, and you do for me, and I do for you, and others do for others. This one another, this reciprocal relationship where we serve and help, that's what it means to be a church member. It's, it's way more about function than it is about any list. See, church membership isn't about me. It's not about you. Church membership is about us. That's what church membership is about us doing our part to love and serve and help one another. And so as I speak to you this morning about what church membership is like, I simply want to preach through the, the one another's. All of them. Now that's, that's like impossible. Um, because there are about 50 of them, a little shy of 50, maybe 47 or there are some that are, well, is, is that really a, a one another that's applied to the church or not? We could have 50 points this morning. 
And you know how many you'd remember if I had 50 points? You'd remember zero. It'd be like totally ineffective. And so we can't, we can't do that. Um, and furthermore, I think about a couple years ago, I preached through the one another's. And I just kind of took a one another each week. Kind of, I think it was a summer sort of series. I can't remember. 10, 11 weeks just kind of looking one upon one another. I'm, I'm going to do all that. One sermon. So here we go. What I want to do, though, is I want to take these one another's and group them together. Um, because there are some ways to group them together. Um, because about a third of all the one another commands have to do with love. And so I think that's the first of my three points this morning. I'm sorry, it's, it's love. Let's go here. Church membership is church members love each other. Um, this command to love one another occurs exactly like that 11 times in the New Testament. Love one another. Okay, so 11 times, just to catch that grip. Okay, love one another. And you can say it if you want, right? Love one another. 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 Eleven times. I could give you the Bible references, but you can search them up. You get Google, right? You can find out what exactly those, those are. And these commands come from all sources. John said, this is my commandment, that you love one another, quoting Jesus. I'm sorry, this Jesus said that, right? This is my commandment, you love one another. Paul wrote, Romans 13, 8, owe nothing to anyone except to love one another. Peter wrote, 1 Peter 1, love one another earnestly, from a pure heart. John wrote, 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another. So those are like 11 commands, clear, same thing. There are are several other commands in the New Testament that don't say love one another, but you can group them in this command, in this category. So like, for instance, uh, Galatians 5, 13, through love, serve one another. There's the emphasis here is to serve, but it's through love. Love is the sphere. And so you show your love, love one another by serving one another. You could say that as well. Or Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 2. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. The idea here is tolerating with one another, enduring with one another, yet to be done in the sphere of love, right? You can love others by bearing with and enduring them. And there are several other passages just like that. But there, there are a third of these one another commands. It's about love. And the prominence of love in these one another commands makes only sense when you remember that when Jesus was asked what the greatest commandment is, and he said, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And you should love your neighbors yourself. You should love God. You should love others, right? Love is what should um, encompass everything. <clears throat> makes sense the new testament would emphasize this predominance of love in the one another passages so we got point about love so where do we go let's just go to john 13 this might be a great place just to illustrate what love is you can open your bibles at john 13 this chapter begins the upper room discourse where jesus gives his final instructions to his disciples before his crucifixion it begins with him washing the disciples feet it ends Oh, I don't know what happened there. It ends with a high priestly prayer in uh, John 17. <clears throat> this should be good here. Let's try. There we go. Um, ends in John 17 with a high priestly prayer. 
I want you to notice, though, verses 34 and 35. This is shortly after he washed the disciples' feet. He said this, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And here Jesus is giving what he calls here a new commandment in verse 34. Now the commandment to love is not new at all. I mean, this is the greatest commandment to love. Love God and love others. So you say, why, why is this a new commandment? What, what's new about this, Jesus? And if you look, it's really the standard of love is what it is. A new commandment says in verse 34, I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Jesus calls us to love each other in the same way that Jesus loved. And how did Jesus love? Well, he loved deeply. If you look back at the beginning of this chapter in John chapter 13, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. He loved them to the end. You might translate that. He loved them to the uttermost. And this isn't like everybody. This is his disciples particularly. This is his church, if you will. These were his one another's that he focused his attention upon. That he loved his disciples and loved them to the end. And we see then the example of Jesus washing their feet. Um, In verse 4, we see that he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments. He took a towel. He tied it around his waist, he poured water into a basin, began to wash the disciples' feet and wiped them with the towel that he had wrapped around him. Then there's discussion about Peter. He says, no, 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 you can't do that because Peter knew how awkward it was. And, and now Jesus was the master. He wasn't to, to serve like, like washing the feet. And there's all this discussion. And, and Jesus said that, uh, yes, verse 13, you call me teacher and Lord, but I've washed your feet that you might Wash one another's feet. I've given you an example that you ought to do as as well. You ought to do as I have done. There's an example of love. There's an example of service. The example of humility. This is the new commandment. To love as I have loved you. And when you think about the depth of the love of John 13, you realize that even he washed the feet of the one who would betray him. Look at verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. And Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, he had come from God and was going back to God. That's when he rose and he washed all the disciples' feet, even of the one that he knew would betray him. That's love. Loving even your enemies. But even beyond just this one example of love, this is one, one example. <clears throat> there are plenty of examples of how Jesus loved us. Many deeds of love are, are saturated throughout all the gospel accounts when he, he loved the leper by touching him and making him clean. By loving Lazarus and Mary and Martha, coming and raising Lazarus from the dead. Or healing the paralytic by the pool. 
just having compassion for this man who was an invalid for 38 years. He loved him. Feeding the thousands was a demonstration of his love to the thousands to satisfy their, their hunger pains. Or, or giving sight to the blind as he did in John 9, the blind man. And, and you see all this, this uh, manifestation of his love to the crowds. But he also loved his disciples a lot. He was incredibly patient with them. Even when teaching about his death, they argued about who was the greatest. And Jesus still loved them perfectly. Even when they slept during his greatest hour of need, when he was praying drops of blood, he still loved them. Even when they all deserted them, Jesus still loved them, loved them to the uttermost, giving his life as a sacrifice. John chapter 15 um, I've got verse 13 here. It's, he says, I'm sorry, John chapter 15. Turn over there. He says this, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Same, same thing. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. And of course, that's what, what Jesus did. He, he laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for us. He died in our place that we might live. He bore the punishment we deserve so that we might not receive the wrath that, that we deserve. That's, that's the gospel. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to love one another, as it says here in verse 34, as I have loved you. And of course, we can't do everything that Jesus did. We can't heal. We can't feed thousands of people like he did. We can't raise the dead. We can't die for other sins. But we can hold the hands of the hurting. And we can sacrifice what we have to, to give to others to help. And we can sympathize with those who've lost loved ones. And we can be patient with those who th- see things differently than we do. And we give our time to serve others in many, many other ways. But that's what it means, church membership in practice. It means that we love others, a third of the one another's. Let's move on to the second point here, that uh, church members seek unity. As much as one third of the the one another's are focused on love, uh, it's been argued that even about a third of them also focus on unity of the church. It's kind of surprising to me. um, But that's just like a big umbrella. I just want to show you how how some of these are, I've identified 13 of them that you can put under this umbrella of unity. First one, Mark 9, 50, Jesus said, be at peace with one another. Peace is a sign of unity. Right? There's not strife, there's unity, there's oneness there. Or John six forty three. don't grumble among one another because grumbling creates divisions. Romans 12 Verse 16, Romans 15, 5, be of the same mind with one another. That's the essence of, of unity is, is being of the same mind, right? We're all, we're all there together. Now, it's not that we all believe everything the same or practice. We'll see later, but it's, it's that we really focus on Christ. We have the same mind to love and serve. Romans 15, 7, accept one another, welcome one another. And we'll look at this verse in depth. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. Wait for one another before beginning the Lord's Supper. There's a sign of unity. Individuality says, oh, food before I eat. Unity means we wait for the greater cause of the body. 
Galatians 5.15, don't bite, devour, and consume one another, right? which all cause harm and division. Rather, we seek unity. Galatians 5.26, don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. Again, those bring disunity. Ephesians 4, verse 2, gently, patiently tolerate one another, which maintains the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Ephesians 4.32, be kind, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. That's right, extending others and restoring relationships so they're the right and proper relationships under this big umbrella of unity. Bear with and forgive one another. Colossians chapter 3, verse 13. Mending the causes of division. 1 Thessalonians 5.15, seek good for one another. Don't repay evil for evil. That is, seek the betterment of the community, not for the destruction of the community. Right? Not repaying evil for evil, dividing the community, but bring it together. James 4.11, don't complain against one another, which only tears down and tears the body. Rather build it up, as James 5.16 says, confess sins to one another. Right? Deal with those things that, dis- that threaten disunity. The unity there, admittedly, is a pretty broad umbrella, but yet, yet it is. It just says, right, don't, don't cause division between each one another, but make sure you're united in, in harmony with one another so the division isn't there. And that's all in a personal realm, right? When, when things are wrong and things are bad and sin is, don't, don't devour and, and evil and speak against, but rather speak for. And really, that's what a, a church member means, is that you seek unity and we don't have a chance to look at all of these commands this morning, so I want to just take one, and I think it's the best place for us to consider unity. So it's Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. So you can turn over there, Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. I think this is talking about unity, or at least a way to establish unity, or at least a, a conclusion of, of that. And as you're turning there, I want you to think about, there, there are different ways to get unity. Um, you can get unity um, by, just even thinking in my mind right here, like by force. I just think about, I just saw something this week about North Korea. You know, they're very unified by force because they're forced to do all these things and regulations and they're forced to bow to the leader. You, you can gain unity by force. Of course, that shouldn't be how the church is. But one way the churches gain unity is through uniformity. Where everyone's the same, believe the same thing, we wear the same thing, we speak the same thing, we act the same way, where the church has a position on everything, on on music and alcohol and dating and movies and clothing and and smoking and gambling and speeding and tattoos and hair length and debt and diet and drugs and drama in the church. And we got all these things that we're all going to stand on and we're all united on that. Everyone falls into rank that we, if I got all our positions, what we're going to do and be as a church. And everyone says, yes, that's it. Yes, yes, yes. No alcohol, no this, dresses, short hair, no drama in the church, right? Whatever. By drama, I'm not talking about personal drama. I'm talking about like upfront acting, whatever. All all these things you might, might come upon and people might have different sorts of views. But if everyone falls into rank, there's unity there, but we're no longer Christians, we're clones at that point. That's not what the New Testament calls us to be in unity. In fact, just the opposite. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 
verses 4 through 7, that there are a variety of gifts in the church, varieties of service and activities, and to each one is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So as Paul describes the church as members of a body, all hand, like hands and feet and eyes and ears, we're all different, but we're all part of the body. We're not all the same. And if ever this church, comprised of different people with different gifts, is going to know and enjoy unity, it doesn't come through uniformity. It comes through acceptance, right? Which is my whole point here, First Corinthians, or Romans chapter 15 and verse 7. I'm not sure if you can read that. If you're sitting in back, I'm sorry. Squints Romans 15 and verse 7. Paul writes this, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. The New American Standard translates this, Accept one another. The King James Version, Receive one another. J.B. Phillips paraphrased it, like, Open your hearts to one another. It's really the idea of this section of Scripture, chapter 14 and 15. This is the conclusion of it. It is the big therefore this is a big conclusion what Paul's talking about, and particularly Romans 14 and 15. He's talking about ways in which the, the church in Rome had these different ideas and different opinions. They, they had different ideas about their lifestyle and how was they're supposed to live and how they're supposed to deal with the world. In chapter 14, Paul talks about how they particularly had divisions upon the diets that they should eat. Should we stay according to the Old Testament law? Or are we free to eat everything? And there was division about that. Um, some thought, because of their historic upbringing, they can only eat the things of a law. A Jew, never eat pork, that's really bad. And he got this Gentile who's right, a pig farmer, and he comes in, and it's like causing division. And Paul doesn't say, let's, let's toe the line, let's do this. Rather, he says, accept one another. You have different convictions, differing beliefs. One is according to the law, and the other is according to what he's grown up with. He sees that he doesn't have to eat according to the law of the old commandment. Or, or with days. Some believe there's a specific day of worship, like the Sabbath, like Saturday, perhaps. Or Sunday becomes the Lord's day. It's the one day, and the other says, every day is alike. We can have a Saturday night service, is what, th- what someone thought. And so you, you have these divisions, and, and, and rather than, it's interesting, with Paul, with the Sabbath, the fourth commandment, he doesn't come down and say, the Sabbath is right, you need to keep the Sabbath. He, he says, no, just, just accept one another, be convinced in your own mind. And so you hear just even practically how the church worked itself out. It was very, very difficult, but he says, welcome one another for the glory of God. And in Rome, these practices are causing conflict and disunity, like, not unlike many issues today in the church. Well, it's schooling choice of your children. Well, it's your use of alcohol or cigarettes or the movies you watch or don't watch or the music or the version of the Bible you read. About your belief, about many secondary doctrines. About the imminency of return of Christ. About what's going to happen in the end. Well, the particular way that we do things, Paul returns in verse 7, this fundamental principle. He says, despite all the differences of all these things, he says, therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And think about that. As Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. And how has Christ welcomed us for the glory of God? It's not through all these positions. It's not through all these things. It's through faith in Jesus. It's how God has welcomed us. And so as he has welcomed us by our faith, as others have faith and trust in Jesus, we are to welcome them 
as well. Or as I like to say it, if God has welcomed you into his kingdom, we welcome you into our fellowship. It's really where you define church. Who can be a church member? One who's a genuine believer in Jesus. Full stop. Not one who's a believer in Jesus who then believes this and this and this and this and everything that's all right with us. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus, if God has welcomed you into his kingdom, we welcome you into our fellowship. That's what Paul is saying. Welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Now, there are times where this causes tension when we th- see things differently, perhaps. When we work out our Christianity differently. We as a church just simply say this, need to work through these things for the unity of the body, always asking the question, right, has, has Christ welcomed them into the kingdom? Ought I to welcome them into our fellowship as well? That's the greatest way we're going to seek unity, not through uniformity, but through welcoming as Christ has welcomed us. Well, third, my last point this morning is that simply church members meet together. Um, I could have said this in different ways, but just I, I say this. This is one of those, a third love, a third uh, unity, and then this one is just even talking about just our, the, the, the importance of us gathering together. <clears throat> I get this from Hebrews chapter 10. So you can turn there, Hebrews chapter 10, um, near the middle to the end of the chapter. Maybe right in the middle of the chapter, I guess. It's really his, um, it's a core verse describing the regular life of those in the church. Meeting together and then what happens in our meeting together. I just want to read this paragraph for you. Romans, Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 to 25. It says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus... By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. In other words, right, we summarize this. This is the, the end of the whole book of, of Hebrews, the whole argument of this, because Jesus is better than anything the Old Testament had to offer, whether it's Aaron or Moses or the law or um, Aaron or, or the, the sacrifices or the old covenants. This is all new through Jesus. And, and because of Jesus... Because we have confidence through him to enter the holy place, the very throne of God, we ought to, verse 22, draw near to God. We need to, verse 23, hold fast our confession, and we need to consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Now, what's helpful about these verses is is that the author's telling us it's not enough simply to draw near to God on your own. It's not enough to hold fast to your faith alone. You know, so many people, right, who, who, who reject church membership or don't want to be involved, want to have their faith that's just me and Jesus, irrespective of everybody. These one another's, though, are calling us to be involved and engaged in one another's lives. And we see that, right, here in verse, verse um, 22 about drawing near and holding fast, but 24 and 25 then speak about horizontally. We, we need to, to consider how to draw how to 
how to stir up others to love and good deeds, right? In, in other words, right, we need to help others around us to draw near to Jesus and to hold fast their profession of faith. So in other words, just not you alone, but it's all of us helping each other to draw near and hold fast to God. I trust you can see how verse 24 requires a, a relationship. You can't stir others up to good works if you don't know them. That's the idea of verse 25. That's why not neglecting to meet together. This is the habit of some. This is why church membership and practice involves meeting together. Now, for us, it means 10 o'clock Sunday morning is our main meeting together times. There's lots of other times in which that's done, but at least there's the first. But it is, it's interesting, in the time of the writing of this, there were people who weren't meeting together. They were just doing their, their Christianity alone. And he said, no, 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 you need to meet together, as is the habit of some. He says, you need to encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Encourage one another how? Encourage one another in drawing near to Christ and to holding fast to Him. Right? In other words, right, you need to come together regularly for the purpose of encouragement. And that's why Christians gather together for encouragement to keep walking on the way. And I just say for us, practice at Rock Valley Bible Church, this is Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning, we seek everything that we can do to remind ourselves of the gospel, to remind ourselves the importance to draw near to God and to hold fast. We remind ourselves that Jesus did die for our sins, that we're made righteous not through our own efforts, that we're justified through faith in Christ and that these beliefs should translate themselves into our lives, our songs. Our really, I've heard this said before, it's theology and community. It's we together, affirming together what it is that we believe and worship the Lord with. We read the scriptures to show us where our, our hope remains. We pray to God to help us in our weaknesses and our needs in the advance of His kingdom and the gospel. And we preach to open up God's word to our hearts to be taught and instructed about what it is that we need to believe, what, how it is that we need to live. But I say this, as much as the public ministry, say here on Sunday morning from whatever, 10, 30, 10 o'clock to 11, 15, 11, 30, when, whenever that is, that's not everything. There's still an element missing. And the element missing is the personal ministry of interacting with one another. It's the importance of our fellowship after church. It's why we have snacks. It's why we suffer with stains on the, the chairs out there as kids spill their food. We try not to, okay? But they do that so we want to prolong our, our time after church. You know, it was really interesting. My, my daughter goes to a, a church very similar to ours um, in Bloomington, a couple hours away. Just I have nothing but praise for the church, she says. But she says, you know, it's so interesting. I said, Krista, when you come back, what, what do you notice differently about our church and, and your church? And the thing that stands out to her is how long people hang around on Sunday mornings after church. So there they just uh, at church, and then they, they're gone. And we have snacks to help that. It's interesting, one Sunday we didn't have snacks for some scheduling reason, whatever. You know what happened after church? People are gone. I don't think that's healthy that people just leave. We're here once. Well, you can hang around for another 15, 20 minutes, half an hour. You can do that, and the snacks help cultivate that. And the importance of that is 24 and 25. We've done right, 19 through 23. Right? We've, we've worshipped the Lord. We've drawn near to Him. We've reminded us of what it is that we should hold fast to keep that. 
But then afterwards, it's 24 and 25, where we, we can allow a forum to talk with each other, to fellowship with each other, to help cultivate this relationship, to know each other on a personal level, so you can stimulate one another towards these things. It's the importance of our chili cook-off today, so we can spend time with one another, just cultivate that relationship that we might know one another to be able to stimulate to love and good deeds. And, and that's what it means to be a church member, not just simply attending a church service, those important in verse 25, but then rubbing with other people, stirring them up to love and good works. This is the danger sometimes of a, of a massive megachurch where, where people can come and stay anonymous and just come and see their religious show and go home. And that's all well and good. Yeah, that's great. And I know lots of big churches have lots of smaller communities which people are, are gathered in and get to connect. And, and that's wonderful. But there's so many people who just come and go and not so at Rock Valley Bible Church. Once you come and get to know each other and live life together in community. But God's call upon your life, by the way, is to bring others along in love and good deeds. Look at verse 24 again, right? Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good deeds. Now, these, require, these verses require some involvement, engagement in your perspective. They require some study. Okay, now I know there are some of you um, who maybe don't like study, right? You don't like books. Good news, this isn't studying books. This is studying people. Not people in general, but specific people. Those in the community of faith, other members of the church, if you will. It's done like this. You get to know others in the church. You study them by asking them questions. You find out their strengths and their weaknesses and their gifts. You notice areas of need in their lives. You find out where they're flourishing, where they're floundering. And you detect all that and you you think about these things. And you do, as this says, everything you can do to encourage them to love and good deeds. So it might work like this. Maybe there's, there's someone who is who's not doing well. And you simply need to speak a word of encouragement into their life. That's like the easiest thing that could take place Sunday morning, kind of a done deal. Or, or maybe it's those who are doing well who need to be encouraged in that to press on and to do well. Um, my, last two days, there was a a women's retreat at Crossway Chapel, and um, my sister showed up. Just Yvonne uh, was speaking, she showed up, and uh, she texted you afterwards or told you afterwards. She said, um, you know, just why don't you tell Steve, I talked with many of the ladies of this church, they love Steve's pastoring their church. Like, I need that encouragement. I said, it's a whole lot easier for me to preach today on the way to church. A whole lot easier for me to preach today knowing that. But there's the encouragement, right? When you see something to encourage and to speak and to build up. Or when people are down, to speak them up and to build them up however you can. But there's just one way. Here, here's another way that you can stir up others to love and good deeds. Maybe it's by matching needs of one person with the gifts and abilities of another. Right? Maybe there's someone who's really struggling with their finances or, or doesn't know about investing or doesn't quite know financially how to, how to track things. And you hear... You know someone else who's got some financial abilities in the church. And you say, oh, you got this need about wisdom in this financial area. And you got this financial ability. How about, have you ever talked to this person? And you put them together. And what have you done? You stimulated this person to love and good deeds by helping this person in the church. You build up the body of Christ. See how that works? 
just being a matchmaker, if you will. Right? Find people that, that needs and helps and wants and make the call and make the connection that stirs people to love and good works. Or, or maybe another example. Sometimes it comes by, by you seeing that, oh, someone needs help. I can meet that help. I could do it alone, but if I need to stir up others to love and good deeds, how about I bring someone with me to help someone in need so as to minimize the work and to help them be stirred to love and good deeds as well. I mean, this happens in all different types of ways, but it requires a, a relationship. And what I love about this is this isn't some program of the church. Um, this isn't something top down. This is something bottom up. This is grassroots movement of the church where people in the church involved enough in others' lives to such an extent they know each other well enough that then they can urge and encourage on and stimulate and organize, help others to love and good deeds. It takes time. It takes effort. It's not easy. But I think it's the call of biblical Christianity. I think it is what church membership is all about. And the catalyst is our Sunday morning gatherings. The one time in the week when we all will be together where we can form these sorts of connections. And that's why verse 25 says that we ought not to neglect our meeting together as is the habit of some. But what do we do? We're encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near, right? There's this, this view of the return of Christ. When Christ comes back again, we need to be faithful until the end. But I, I trust you see verse 25 is more than merely attending some service and thinking that you've fulfilled your God-ordained call in your life. Uh, I just know as I talk with people, they talk about, well, yeah, I go to church, right? And what they mean by that is I go and I do my religious duty and then I go home and do my thing. You, you don't just go to church and then do your thing. You, you go to church and involve yourself and engage yourself in the lives of other people, which sometimes it means coming to your house, and sometimes you're going to someone else's house. Sometimes it means meeting for coffee. Sometimes it means various aspects of, of doing life together. We're called as church members to do community with one another, to love one another, serve one another, help one another. But if you're just off doing your own thing, just you and Jesus alone, you're missing the crucial component of your, of your life, which is the body and your role in it. And a church membership is merely the the defining, clearly understanding, just, okay, so I have, a, I have a function here in the body, and it's the willingness to say, you know what, I want to fulfill my function here in the body. And, and your functions are all different. Everyone's doing different things, okay? But we're all towards this one thing, is to help all of us in one group, one body, right, walk with the Lord, to draw near to Him and hold fast to Him, that we all might be functioning members of the body. All right, well, next week will be our, our last week in this series looking at how at Rock Valley Bible Church things practically function and practically work themselves out. Uh, we're going to talk about our history, our vision, our values, and just what church membership means for us. We'll talk about that next Sunday. So let's pray. <clears throat> Father, so much here about the, all the one another's in the scriptures are so, so vast and complete, and yet the picture is really plain. It's of a body working together of a body unified together seeking to honor you and to glorify you and to help one another to um, to walk rightly before you. Father, I pray that you might rescue us from seeing as, that our Christianity is mere individual. It's merely just my walk with you to get myself to your glory into heaven, but really it's helping others along the way. 
God, just strive for that day when you come back and you can say, well done, well done, good and faithful one. Uh, I pray, God, in this church membership series, we might see, we're just seeking to define these things clearly, not only for us, but for others who would come and, and join us in the future to walk in these ways. We are thankful for the blood of Jesus that makes this all possible. Thank you that he's building his church. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.